0: You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry. A dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for his glory. Here today. Good morning. Great to see you here. I hope you're doing well. And um, what a what a beautiful weekend. I hope you're enjoying the sunshine on this wonderful bank holiday weekend. And uh, just great to uh, have some time to, to rest. I hope you've been able to have, to have some time to rest. Uh, I want to say just a couple of things before we dive in. Uh, firstly, uh, you may have seen on our Instagram that we had the Archbishop of Canterbury here on Friday morning. And um, it, was, uh, it was really a great gathering of church leaders and project leaders from around the city. And such a privilege for us to be able to host here, uh, but do want to say a special thank you uh, for the team we we had on Thursday night. Quite unusually, we had uh, a big conference here. It was actually Finnham Park School's awards evening that finished at 11 o'clock at night uh, for 300 people, and, and we had to turn this room around for uh, a, a breakfast with the Archbishop at 7:30 the next morning. And for those of you that were here till half one in the morning, and then back again at six. I honour you and applaud you and commend you and thank you. <laughs> Incredible. And um, Also, I uh, do pray for Jonathan Chanda. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, Jonathan will receive his full accreditation as an, asem- <laughs> yeah, as, as an Assemblies of God minister, so you'll be able to call him Reverend Jonathan from next <laughs> Sunday, and uh, do pray for him. Uh, I'm so proud of Jonathan, and uh, those of you have been around, see his meteoric growth. Uh, he has pressed into God in, in, in the Word and in prayer, just with great energy and diligence and resolve. And uh, it's been such a joy for us to see him grow and continue to grow here. And uh, at the end of a two and a half year process of, of study and input, uh, John will be recognized in the denomination at our annual conference uh, this Wednesday, along with some others around the country And uh, so, yeah, we'll uh, look forward to that and do pray for John, as I said. Well, you'll probably be aware that we are in week two of a series uh, in the book of James. So if you have a Bible or a device, I'm going to invite you to turn to chapter one of the book of James in the New Testament. Our series is called Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And over the next five Sundays, including today, we're going to look at one chapter on each Sunday. We're going to make our way through the the book, and as we do that also in life groups, we're going to be looking at those chapters. Today, I'm not going to try and unpack every verse of chapter one, although we will read the full chapter. I'm not going to comment on every verse, but if you have a question, maybe you read something and and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I hope he's going to explain that, and I don't, then take that into your life groups this week. Let it be a point of discussion and prayer as you study the Word together. Well, I also should make the comment that the subsequent chapters from this, from two to five, tend to look at a smaller number of subjects, probably two to three subjects in the remaining chapters, as James presses into one or two things in more detail. Here in chapter one, James seems to go all over the place, he, he covers a lot of stuff and uh, there are some commentators who would try and unpack uh, James into five areas, others would put it into 12, really it's 12 and uh, so there's lots of different areas so I'm not going to try and make one subject out of this today but I'm going to press into something that I hope will help us building on the start that we had last week. But um, I know you've just sat down, and it's a warm day. Why don't we stand for the reading of the Word? We don't always do this. It's good to do. Stand for the reading of the Word. Uh, This is James chapter 1, and uh, I'm reading from the NIV. It'll come up on the screens, but if you've got it in front of you, do follow it, and see as we go through if you can spot 12 different subject areas. It might help you to pay attention. This is what the Bible says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Let me just pause there and, and say, without going into great detail on this, this is a book to the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike. It is understood. James isn't talking about the twelve tribes of Israel, but the twelve tribes which was understood to represent the people of God. Many times through the letter, he says, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, it is an open letter to the whole body of Christ. And that's what it meant when he says that the twelve tribes scattered through the nations, God's people as represented under a new covenant. Greetings, he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave at sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed, in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted, sorry, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, church. This is the opening book of James. If you were here last week You would have heard Dr. John Andrews uh, open up. Dr. John Andrews is always excellent, but last week he excelled himself. And was incredible and opened up this idea that faith is expressed through action. The big theme of James, that faith without works is dead and meaningless. That faith, as he said last week, has to have a face. If I say I believe but I don't behave, then it shows that I don't actually believe. That something, if I believe something, I'm actually going to act that out. I'm going to do something that outworks my faith and my belief. If you believe it, you'll behave it. If you say you believe it and you don't behave it, you actually don't believe it. Your faith is evidenced by your actions. What your life does is ultimately the demonstration of what your heart really believes. John also opened up for us the potential conflict between the primary teachings of Paul and the book of James. And he helped us to see how these messages aren't aren't in conflict with one another, but are actually, they are complementing one another. That Paul is putting an emphasis in a certain place, and James is putting an emphasis on another place, but the messages hold together. And the primary message that we get from Paul is that the righteousness that saves us is from Christ alone. I cannot be saved by my works. I I can do nothing to save myself. I am already beyond saving of my own volition. But thanks be to God that Jesus, who knew no sin but became sin for us, has saved me, has paid the price for my sin. And in Christ, the Bible says, I become even the righteousness of God. This is what the Bible says. This is Paul's big message, really, amongst so much of the church, that it is in Christ alone that we are made righteous, not through our works, thanks be to God. And yet James says, well, that is true, but if your faith in Christ is real, it will be seen. It, it has to be evidence that that faith with no evidence is actually not faith at all. And so we are saved by Christ and by his righteousness. But the evidence that Christ is in us is the outworking, the righteous deeds of a life being transformed. And these are the two messages. The the little thing I'd want to add to this is you might not realize Paul and James were great contemporaries. They were great friends. But when Paul was first saved, his first trip after he'd been saved, I think three years, he went up to Jerusalem and it says there he met, guess who? James. He met James. He spent some time at Peter's house and then it says that he met James. It says that in Acts 21 that, that Paul in his final visit to Jerusalem before Paul travels to Rome and ultimately dies, he went to see James. James had emerged to become one of the great leaders in Jerusalem. And Paul, and, and we'll look at this in a few moments, Paul and Barnabas, they travel from Antioch on one occasion to come to Jerusalem to grapple with doctrine, and Paul and James are their key people in the debate, and they agree on doctrine. There's no way that these great brothers, you know, Paul actually writes and, and he says, James and Peter and John, these are esteemed brothers. That's what he says in Galatians 2. He names, and, and really those are the big four hitters in the early church, Peter, John, Paul uh, saved on the road to Damascus and James, the brother of Jesus, who although not one of the 12, rose to be a great leader. And, and as I read my Bible, these are the, the four real big hitters. And so Paul and James, they would have been dear friends. They would have been dear brothers. They would have talked doctrine so deeply and, and so much. There's no way they would have ended up on a different page. Just their letters uh, emphasize different things for us. But today I, I want to build on John's message that faith has a face. And if you want a title for the day, it's walking the talk, walking the talk. I want to acknowledge that faith must have a face if it is genuine. We must outwork it or it is merely hollow talk. But I also want to acknowledge there is a process to that. There is a process from coming to a place of belief to it becoming behavior. Who knows what I'm talking about? See, I I don't know what happened to you, but see, I do, occasionally you meet people who are are living some reckless and debauched life, they get saved and they are instantly transformed. People who, you know, drank like a fish, swore like a trooper and smoked like a chimney and day one, they're transformed and they're all out for Jesus. My, My life wasn't quite like that. I got saved and I believed and my faith was genuine. But, I, but the next day, I wasn't utterly transformed. I was at the very beginning of a transforming journey. Can anyone relate to that? The Bible calls it sanctification. It is the way of discipleship that we change. And, and so I, I want to try and help us. And I think James helps us here in chapter one with some key principles of how we put a face onto our faith, how we actually make that journey happen. We make that transition. You see, when I was first a Christian, my faith was childlike as it should be, but it was also childish. It was squealing with delight one minute and bursting into tears the next. You know, if you'd have looked at my life when I first got saved, it would have been a a, a strange reflection. It wouldn't have quite matched up. You know I'm not proud to say when I was first a Christian you know some of the things I was very much dealing with you know anger and pride and a multitude of issues but I remember coming to church as a brand new Christian hungover from the night before. I I believed but I was not yet behaving. I wanted to behave but it was a process. And for me, it was a process of the Holy Spirit thing by thing that continues to this day of putting his, his beautiful finger on, the, on my heart and my life and showing me the next area to work on. And so it is little by little that a face comes onto my faith. Can anyone identify with this? And so this is the journey and the process because I think it's really important to acknowledge this today because you may be here as a new Christian, you may be here and you think you believe and you want to believe and you are coming to believe but you don't yet fully behave. This is journey. There'll be some here today you're actually not new to faith, you're old to faith. But you've struggled to walk the talk. If you're honest, there's a gap between your belief and your behaviour that needs addressing. And my prayer is that this series wouldn't bring us into condemnation, but would help us to close that gap and bring the behavior onto our belief and help us to move forward. This is the journey of discipleship for all of us as we read this book, as we study this book, as we grapple with it in our life groups. James will find us out. There will be, if, if, This book doesn't spotlight some things in our lives over these next five weeks that need to be changed. We're not listening. We're not paying attention. Uh, And so in life groups every week, we're going to be asking, what's your one thing from this study that you're going to take into the next seven days and by the help and grace of God, try and work on, try and transform, try, try and journey so that a face more comes onto your Faith, not not a face that's somehow pixelated or blurred, but is actually bringing something that represents who you are becoming. And here in chapter one, although there's this broad mix of ideas and comments, we could stop on all of them. uh, There are a number of keys, I believe, that help us to understand what it means to walk the talk, how we can begin to walk the talk, how we can begin to use John's phrase. Put a face onto our faith. And I'm gonna highlight three of them. If you're taking notes, my first point is that if I'm gonna walk the talk, I need to, number one, determine my position. I wonder if we can say that together. Determine my position. What I mean by this, I, I need to understand how I am approaching this walk as a Christian. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer yet. Well, we pray that even by the end of this service, you might give your life to Jesus and understand, come to understand the very reason you were created. Yeah. But for most of us in the room, we are, we are believers. We have taken a step already, and yet we need to determine the position of how we are going to work out our discipleship. I wanna take us right back to the beginning, the very first verse of this book, a statement upon which John Andrews remarked last week, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek could equally translate, James, a servant of Jesus who is God and Lord. And I wonder if that's not actually what he's saying. But either way, the point here in determining our position is not the confession of Christ as Lord, but is this word that James uses, servant. Servant. I'll come to it in just a moment. Last week, we saw that James was Jesus' brother, technically his half-brother. In Matthew 13, it says, Jesus' brothers arrived, and they're mentioned by name, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. James is listed first. There is the understanding within the culture, almost without doubt, James would have been the next oldest. So the likelihood is that Jesus and James, they might only have been a couple of years apart. They grew up in the same family for the best part of 30 years, under Joseph and under Mary. They almost certainly shared a bedroom. These guys knew each other. James would have known Jesus as well as anybody. And yet when Jesus is in his ministry, as we heard last week, James didn't get it. He didn't believe it. And he actually tried to call Jesus away from the mission that he was on, partway through the Gospels. But something happened. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, it says that Jesus, when he had risen from the dead, he appeared to 500 believers at the same time. And then to James. Wow. So Jesus has been crucified and he's risen from the dead and he goes and he sees James. And something happens that changes James's life forever. He's able to say now, a servant of Jesus, who is both Lord and God. Yes, he may be my half-brother, but this is God himself. This is God Almighty. This is the incarnate Word become flesh. I I may have been on a bunk bed with him, but make no mistake. He is the Lord of Lords, and he is the King of Kings. I think something happened to James. I'd love to know what happened when Jesus met James. Oh, hi. (laughs) Told you. Is the room for sibling rivalry. I don't know what happens here, but something happens. And James rises to become an incredible leader in the early church. In Acts chapter 12, Peter escapes from prison. You probably know the story, his miraculous escape. And he goes to the house and you remember Rhoda comes, opens the door. Do you know what Peter says? He says, tell James and the brothers. James, by Acts 12, looks at he has risen to be respected as a first among equals. Three chapters later in Acts 15, there is a dispute of a doctrine in Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas are there. And the Antioch elders, they send Paul and Barnabas up to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles to grapple with how much of, of the old law should be put onto Gentile believers. That the outcome of which is nothing other than one or two things that are good for for us in in our humanity but they are it is a moment in the church it's called the council of jerusalem and there paul and barnabas come those who who believe from one angle they represent their case others speak up it says peter contributes uh paul and barnabas contribute and then it says when they had all spoken james stood up and said listen to me brothers and James calls it, and that's what happens. It looks as though James has risen to become first among equals, if I can say it like that, in Jerusalem. In the, he is respected amongst others as an incredible leader. But I say all that to say this, that when he opens his letter, he doesn't say James an apostle. He doesn't say James, leader of the council. He doesn't even say James, brother of Jesus, shared a bunk bed. He says doulos. Do loss. The NIV says servant, but it doesn't actually mean servant. It means bond slave. It means, it means a bond slave having no rights of ownership of oneself, the property belonging to another. I think the translators have maybe sanitized it because of the obvious negative connotations with slavery. But this is a slave. A a doulos is someone who has no rights. A a doulos is expendable. A doulos is owned entirely by the master. A doulos has become almost worthless to themselves, only to the master. And James, the brother of Jesus, says, Doulos. I'm a doulos of Jesus. This, ah. If we're gonna walk the talk, there's something here. Why am I laboring this? Because for James to walk the talk was possible because he'd learned to become a doulos. he learned to entirely submit, to yield fully, to surrender totally. He'd become a bond slave to Christ. The one who had surrendered all on the cross, he now surrendered to. And this, my friends, this is the call of Christianity. This actually is, this is base one. If we're gonna put a face to our faith, we have to come to doulos. We have to recognize we are no longer our own. We think about James' credentials. They meant nothing to him. Paul, in Romans 1, verse 1, he opens his book to the church in Rome. You know what Paul calls himself? Doulos. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, opens his book. You know what he calls himself? Doulos. The big hitters had understood that they were nothing other than utterly surrendered to Jesus. That if we we are going to be those that walk the talk, if we are going to be those that have a face to our faith, we have to come to a place of surrender. Do we think we should be in a a more exalted place than Peter, James, and Paul? If they'd become doulos. You know, when I was 17, I became a doulos. The aspiration of my life is to be a doulos. It's to be a bond slave to Jesus. That this life would be entirely surrendered to him. That is the aspiration of my life. And I also know it is the only chance I have of walking the talk, of surrendering to him. But I have to determine my position. I have to make a decision. I have to make a call. You see, I, I made a decision at the age of 17. I went down the front of a church. I surrendered my life to Jesus after six months of wrestling. And in a moment, the matter was settled. Now, I've said already the transformation wasn't instantaneous, but in my mind and my heart, the matter was settled. The rest was in the outworking. So when the Holy Spirit comes on, on a third morning of being hung over in the house of God and say, you need to deal with this, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision to stop going out on a Saturday night. Some of those friendships that meant a lot to me, I had to put them on the altar and leave them behind. Why? Because I'd made a decision to be a doulos. It might not change instantaneously, but having determined my position, the rest is outworking. The rest is outflow. The, The face to the faith, the walking of the talk, it comes when I've determined my position that I am no longer my own, but I belong entirely to Christ. You might be here today and you're not there, you're wrestling. Can I urge you and encourage you for your sake, don't be a miserable half-believer that is still wrestling because you think your will and your wisdom is equally as good as Jesus because it isn't and you will find liberty when you get over the line. You know, somebody came to me when we were speaking on, on giving uh, two, three weeks ago and they said, oh, I said, "I." They said, I, I wish so-and-so had been here because they've got an issue with giving. That's what they said to me. People are great, aren't they? And, um, and I said, and what about you? No, I, I said, uh, no, I, I didn't actually. I didn't." They, but you know, I, I know the person they're talking about, and I said, do you know, they, the issue isn't giving. The issue is because they've not yet fully surrendered their heart to Jesus. So we should pray for them because when they get to full surrender... Giving will be easy. The issue is, am I going to be a doulos? Am I going to be as James was? Secondly, I need to change my perspective. I need to change my perspective. So James, he opens up and then he immediately goes to trials. I don't know whether you notice this. If you know James, you'll already know this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Jesus goes on to say that God doesn't tempt us. You know, the the devil tempts us that we might fail. God tests us because he wants us to succeed. He says in this book, we are tempted by our own evil desires, the flesh. But James says, consider it pure joy. When you may face trials of many kinds. The word for many kinds, poikilos, means many colored, variegated. No matter what form they take. He's not talking about persecution, although that would be within it. He's talking about anything that's a challenge. Anything that's a test. Anything that's a trial. Anything that's difficult. Consider it pure joy. And then he says, why? He says, because you know. Well, I don't know whether we do know. Because you know that the testing of your faith. He understands actually to put a face to the faith, the faith has to be tested. This is how the face emerges. If we're gonna walk the talk, then the talk has to be tested. So he says, consider it pure joy and I have to change my perspective if I haven't done yet to understand the trials of life, the many variegated different challenges that come. They are to help me outwork this decision of being a follower. It's to help me to transform. It's to help me to change. We know that Abraham trusted God because God tested him. He said, will you give me your own son, Isaac? And, and you know, Abraham could have said, Lord, I totally trust you. And then he says, great, well, give me Isaac. And then we find out whether what Abraham said he actually means. What, what, if he's going to behave what he said he believes. It's in the test that faith is demonstrated. You know, 1 Peter 1 opens up in exactly the same way. Peter says, you know, rejoice greatly, though you may face trials of many kinds. It is so that your faith, which is worth more than gold, is proved genuine. This is how James opens up. It's how Peter opens up. Guess what? This was a big message in the early church. Whatever you're going through, understand there is purpose in the trial. And if we haven't got there yet, we have to change our perspective in order to understand that God is at work in us. We sing, don't we? I will bless the Lord forever. I will trust him at all times. But who knows when the all times come, it finds out whether we will or whether we won't trust him. I surrender all, I surrender all. And then we have an annual vision offering. And the Lord comes and says, I'd like you to do this. And we go, not likely. And then he goes, no, I would. And we have a wrestle. And and what what happens through the trial of faith, a face comes to our faith. And actually the Lord, through the testing, through the pain, through the challenge, whatever it may be, refines us. I heard somebody tell the amazing story of, of watching Somebody refines silver. It gets heated to over 1,000 degrees. It's this massive temperature to, to burn off the impurities, to, to raise up the dross. And this, this guy's he's a refiner of silver. He's in the process. They've got this little crucible. There's some, some silver that's being refined. It's being heated. It's being burned. And at a moment, he withdraws it. And she said, how did you know it was ready? He said, when I can see my reflection in it, I know it's ready. Wow, what a picture for us. When I can see my reflection in it, I know it's ready. Are you ready yet? I'm not ready. Not yet. Can he see his full reflection? I hope he can see more than he's ever been able to see of himself in me, but can he see his pure reflection in me? Not fully yet. So, guess what? I need to go back in the fire. Am I at considerate pure joy? I'm working on that. But I've come to understand that when the furnace and the fire comes, my goal is not to escape, it is to be forged. Not that we don't pray, not that we don't ask for God's help, not that if a family member is sick, we're not getting on our knees for them. But I understand, I have a perspective that whatever it may be, God can work on me in that place. That place I would probably never choose to be because I'm not yet at pure joy. I'm not yet at praying for trials. But I have come to understand they are not my enemy, they are my friend. That in that place, God can do something more in me than probably in any other place. I love the mountain, but it's in the valley that I get forged and I get formed. It's in, it's in the heat that the dross burns off. And I have come to understand, and this has been such a key in my life. I've probably been a Christian about a year or two, and I, I came to grasp this. And if you've not yet gras- grasped this, this will transform your life if you're going to put a face to your faith, if you're going to walk the talk, is to understand in the the multivarigated trials and challenges of life, God is working on you there. It doesn't matter whether God orchestrated it, whether the devil orchestrated it, whether people orchestrated it. If God has allowed it, He is working on you there. And I need a perspective Where my first prayer is not, Lord, get me out of the fire, but is, Lord, forge me in the fire. And I've come to understand three things. Number one, I always have something to find. In the trial, I always have something to find of God. It's been in the trials that I've found his love and his grace. I've I've come to understand that he is a stronghold. I've come to understand some of David's language becomes personal in the trial. I have something to find of God. I want to say to you, if you're going through a trial right now, whatever it may be, there is something new and more and further of God to find in that place. If you just press into him, if you just allow it, you will find something there. The number of people that I've met who apply themselves to this and get to a place where they're able to say, if I could have my time again, I wouldn't choose to go through that, but I wouldn't be without what was bought in that place. I always have something to find. Secondly, I I always have something to learn about myself or about God. And thirdly, I always have something to change. Always have something to be put right. So when the bill lands, when the boss is out of order, when the family member is sick, when the car breaks down, yeah, pray by all means, but know the trial is not your enemy, the trial is your friend. Thirdly, I need to choose my posture. I need to choose my posture, and if you've got your Bibles open, just return again to what I think is one of the great keys of the New Testament, and yet it's so easily overlooked in verse 21. Verse 21. James writes this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And I'd like us to look at this. I have to choose my posture. The Message Version, verses 21 to 26, says it like this, So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil into the garbage, in simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're a listener when you're anything but that. Let the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are those who glance in a mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are and what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. What are we saying here? Here we go again. Be doers, not just hearers. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Be real believers. But in verse 21, we find a key, and we understand that we have a choice and we have a decision. Get rid of all moral filth and humbly accept the word implanted. And here we understand something that is so key. I hear me right, because I 100% believe that the way of the believer is life in the Spirit. I 100% believe that John 15, remain in me and my words remain in you and you will bear much fruit, is the way of discipleship. I 100% believe Jesus did not come, save us and then say, right, now try harder. He came by the Spirit within us to transform us from the inside out. That the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control, if I remain in Christ, will begin to come out of me. It is not that I just, just try harder, and yet here we understand something. There is also a decision. There is something that I would call cooperation. Can we say together cooperation? Cooperation. co-operation. There is something here, if I'm going to have a face on my faith, if I'm going to be a real believer, if I'm going to be one whose behavior is increasingly reflecting my beliefs, I have to recognize there is something called cooperation. Where my decision and my choice and my posture, if I can call it that, is to say no to what is not from God and yes to what is from God. That in that way, I allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life. The Holy Spirit, my friends, comes to transform us. The Holy Spirit is given to transform us. The Holy Spirit longs to transform us. But the Holy Spirit will not enforce transformation, even to the believer. He waits for our cooperation. We have to learn to keep in step with the Spirit. And James makes it simple. He says here, therefore, get rid. Can we all say, get rid? Therefore, get rid of all, strong words, moral filth, of all evil and wickedness, of everything that is ungodly. I have a choice. In my day-to-day, in my Monday-to-Friday, whether I am going to live in those things or whether I am going to get rid And it is a choice. Now the Holy Spirit will help me if I make a right choice. It is a partnership with the Holy Ghost. The transformation of your life. He will change you from the inside out when you cooperate with Him. It is not a work of the flesh. It is a work of the Spirit. But it requires the cooperation of the believer. In the same way that Jesus went to the cross and died for the whole world. But until I come to a place of accepting it and repenting and receiving. It is actually not appropriated unto me even though it is already there and available. Am I making sense to anybody today? My cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Get rid, he says. And then he says, humbly. Can we say humbly? humbly. We need humility in this because we need to say, Lord, I, I might not feel like this because our flesh wants so much. I met with a friend recently who, whose wife had committed adultery last year. And he'd found out and his, his world is blown apart. And by the grace of God, they're working through their marriage. And, I, and we met and he shared his, what's going on in his life. And I, and I said, how's your heart? And he said, Martin, there is a lot of flesh available. <laughs> oh, great phrase. There is a lot of flesh available. He says, there's a lot of anger available. There's a, there's a lot of bitterness available. And he said, day by day, I'm, I'm just trying to walk this out and keep the flesh at bay. Wow. Guess what? He's putting a face on his faith. But you know, there's, there's a reality that for us, there's a lot of flesh available. Humbly, humbly accept the word implanted. This is such a key phrase. I'd encourage you, meditate on this this week. Humbly accept the word. What is the word implanted? You know, the word of God already lives in you. And I'm not against in any way, shape or form being people who read and study and apply ourselves to the Scriptures, thank God for the Scriptures, but by the Holy Spirit, the Word is already implanted in you. The New Testament church had no New Testament, but the Word was implanted by the Spirit. Through 25 years of pastoral ministry, I have met so many people whose lives have been ravaged by sin, who who have caused pain to others and pain to themselves because of sin. Because sin will always keep you longer than you wanted to stay, take you further than you wanted to go, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. And I see it time after time. But I have never ever met anybody who were confused about what was right and what was wrong. Nobody ever sat with me and said, but, but pastor, the, the issue is that I, I thought I was pleasing God by getting angry. I thought I was pleasing God by lying. I, I thought it might please God to be proud. I thought I was pleasing God to sleep with my girlfriend or sleep with my boyfriend. I, I thought I was pleasing God in this area of lust. I'm confused here. I never met anybody who struggled to know what was right and what was wrong. I never met anyone who said, but, but pastor, I, I, I thought lacking compassion was the right thing. I thought being rude was the right thing. We know because the word of truth is implanted in us. We know to love our neighbors. May we become students and scholars of the word. But I want to tell you, my friend, if you are a believer, the word is already implanted in you and you know what the right thing is to do. Just as I do. And what happens is there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit and I have to humbly accept the word implanted, what I know is right. And this is where the Holy Spirit helps me. You might say, this is a bit heavy for a Sunday morning. I want to tell you, if you're going to have a face on your faith, you've got to understand this. This is what it comes down to. Am I going to be a doulos? Will I have a perspective on my trials that God is actually fashioning me to see as reflection in me? But also, will I choose my posture to make a choice in the little things, in the day-to-day, in those moments? This is what it comes down to. I remember talking to a wise person and saying, What is it spiritually that separates the men from the boys? And do you know what he said to me? He said, It's the little things. Wow. I was not expecting that. It's the little things. And in the little things, will we get rid of what offends God? Will we humbly accept? Sarah, why don't you come? You can try this this week. You can make a decision right now that the next person that annoys you, you're going to pray for them. The next person who carves you up when you're driving along, the next person in in a retail shop that is rude to you, the next time you are on some sort of helpline and you've been holding for 40 minutes, listening to elevator music, being told every 45 seconds that your call is important to them, <laughs> uh, and somebody finally answers and says, oh, I'm sorry, this is not the right department, <laughs> uh, and, and says to you, you You're going to need to, like, well, can you put me through? No, I'm sorry, but I can give you the number and you can start again. And your flesh actually wants to kill them. You can make a decision right now that you're going to stop and ask for that person's name and pray for them. Because they might not be in their dream job. They might not enjoy what they're doing. They might be doing it because they're struggling to feed their kids. They might need Jesus. They might not be having a great day. They've not gone to work to make your life a misery. And just maybe, oh, and this, this gets down a bit real, doesn't it? But this is faith that works, friends. We can make a decision. Am I going to get rid? And am I going to humbly accept? And this is the life of transformation. This is what puts face on our faith. This is what puts walk on our talk. My friends, if you do this, and you bless others, you'll not only do them good, it'll do you good. You'll put a face on your faith. you'll walk the talk. you will be transformed. Christ will be formed in you. You'll become who you really are, and you'll have faith that works. Let's stand. Musicians, why don't you come? Lord, if we're honest, your gospel's challenge is tough. But I pray, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, to, and if you're standing, why don't you just open your heart with me? Maybe you want to respond in your own prayer as I pray. Don't be a passenger in this moment. The Lord's been speaking to you. Just talk to him about that. I pray, God, would you help us? Help us to be a doulos. Help us to be utterly surrendered. Help us to understand who we are. God, help our lives to come to a place where we desire no rights of our own, but only that we will be fully owned by you. Lord, help us in the midst of our trials that our first prayer might not be to run out of the fire, but to be forged in the fire. And Lord, take us to a place of maturity where we can even identify with James and say, this is pure joy. And I pray, would you help us, Lord? Would you help us, God, to choose our posture, to make a decision that honors you?